All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the new podcast, the Hot Takes Podcast. Because, well, hot takes are always more interesting, aren't they? Well, let's begin. So, this week was pretty sparse in terms of actual news. So,. So the main thing that happened this week was actually um, Apple's WWDC. For those of you who don't know, WWDC is just Apple's uh, a developer conference. And they normally announce the next version of iOS and the next version of macOS, the next version of Apple, and the next version of uh, all the other operating systems they have, Apple TV, so on and so forth. And there's probably two big news, like, things that happened at WWC, and the main thing was the Mac Pro, but first let's talk about new iPad OS, which is actually pretty interesting. So for the longest time, both iOS and Android, basically any ARM device, so any other tablet that wasn't Windows-based normally, because now there's Windows for ARM tablets, but that that all aside, they've been based on the same OS more or less. They there hasn't necessarily been forks. Essentially, especially for Android, Android is very very guilty of this. They would just port over the standard Android OS for tablets, except for at the very beginning of tablets, Honeycomb version three point in which they actually had a separate version for tablets, but it didn't really fly with a lot of people, so they just stuck to the same version. Now, what happened was these tablets, these ARM-based tablets, would basically just have, you know, the standard OS meant for phone screens that were 4.7-inch at the time, now 6-inch and 7-inch, uh, etc. phone screens. But in reality... In order to properly utilize, you know, the average space of a tablet is, say, uh, 10 inches or 9 inches, around that. Now they're making 12-inch tablets. You'd need to make a separate OS or a forked OS to properly utilize the space and to allow for tablets to actually succeed. And for the longest time, up until yesterday... Tablets on the ARM space have more or less had the same OS, and Apple actually took a really great step. One of the few times I'll actually praise Apple ever, they actually took a pretty great step in introducing iPad OS. And the idea is that's essentially a fork from iOS, but you'll have all the features. They actually included widgets. I don't remember what they called it on stage, but they're essentially Android widgets. You can just pin them to the home screen exactly the way that you do on Android. And the overall OS looks to be optimized for bigger screens, and that's great. And they finally introduced SD card support and USB hardware support, so so you can actually use this as a real computer. It's insane. And the thing is, these tablets at this point, uh, anything with a, an A12 processor is probably better than the average person's laptop like the average person is probably using a core i5 laptop from four years ago and these things just destroy those 
it's it's going to allow for all this great performance to finally be utilized and we might actually see a switch from uh, windows laptops potentially into ipads for a majority of people they they probably don't even need windows laptops because office uh systems like the google docs they're on there because now safari has a desktop mode so you you can actually use desktop apps desktop web apps on safari on the ipad and i think what this will allow is it'll allow potentially a switch for a lot of people because they've been kind of toying with this idea of let's make the ipad into a uh, not necessarily a desktop competitor but let's make the ipad into your primary computer and for the longest time people have been saying oh ios is the problem ios is a problem and they finally fixed that at WWDC. So that's definitely awesome to hear because me personally, I don't think Windows is the future of computing. I don't think laptops are the future of computing because you're limited, right? And the only reason why people use laptops or Windows laptops in the first place is primarily because of compatibility with previous things or enterprise situations. For the average person, they probably don't need that. For the average person's computer, they definitely don't need many enterprise applications. At most, the average person is probably just going to use Windows, like Word, or use uh, uh, Google Docs, or some email, etc., and maybe some light Photoshop, light video editing. And the iPad can definitely do that. The only things the iPad really can't do at this point. I, I think they do have uh, Creo and Autodesk, etc., that sort of stuff. I think it's mainly programming that the iPad can't do simply because it's it's a chipset issue. It's like maybe higher end like JavaScript, uh, uh, J Java maybe. You could find a way to... The issue is probably that it's an ARM chipset and if you're trying to deploy to x86 and all that there's there's going to be issues there with compatibility and such and such but i i i think once they figure out a way or even you can just remote into your desktop i think the ipad is the future of at least of laptops i don't think if apple continues on this path i i think laptops will be outdated that's my personal opinion. Of course, I'm talking about five to 10 years along the line. I personally think x86 computers might potentially be outdated because ARM processors are already, you know, they're already getting to the point where they can compete with the average x86 laptop. And for most people, most people don't necessarily need the performance of, say, uh, their 32 core Threadripper or whatever. Most people just want to play a game of Fortnite, and now they can. And the 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 other thing that's actually pretty interesting, of course, all the sources are in the description, but they announced a uh, the iPad and iOS in general, and Apple any Apple product will now natively support PS4 and Xbox One S controllers so hopefully they provide some support with switch controls but this is huge for apple gaming now 
on Android, from what I remember, some it's 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 a toss up, right? Some games will support it, some games won't support it. That that's just how Android is. But now that iOS has native support, and especially with that Apple Arcade stuff coming in soon, there this actually makes a great case for iOS as a gaming platform. And for the longest time, I personally think iOS has had better games. Than Android simply because on on Android unfortunately it's like Windows right and it's on Android it's very 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 easy to pirate I'm gonna be honest here it, it's literally just downloading an APK and install it takes all of two seconds and that's it on iOS you need to jailbreak you need to find an IPA now there's something called sideloading but it's not that easy and for the average iOS user, the average grandma isn't gonna know how to pirate a game that easily. Compared to on Windows, I think everyone knows how to pirate a game on Windows. I think everyone knows how to download music, although people aren't doing it. But providing games on a subscription service may actually prevent piracy overall on uh, iPad. So it'll be interesting to see I think uh, iOS could actually become a, a fairly substantial gaming platform because of all the changes introduced in uh, iOS 13. Now, the main topic of uh, WWDC, at least for me, was the new Mac Pro, and a lot of people have been, uh, they've been kind of skeptical. Now, it is it just looks like a cheese grater, and it looks like, honestly, I don't know if I particularly like the design. It looks nice, but it, it looks very heavy. It's essentially all aluminum cheese grater. And it, it's it's essentially a mid-tower PC with aluminum. And I believe they're using the aluminum as a heat sink, which is pretty nice. Nice airflow. But it is very expensive. It is $6,000. Now... For the base uh, specs, which I don't have on me right now, but I believe it's like an 8-core Xeon, uh, I think 16 or 32 gigabytes, I think uh, uh, Radeon 5EDX, you can definitely build a PC that will stomp on those specs, that will destroy those specs for probably $2,000. And a lot of people know this. A lot of people, I, I don't think this Mac Pro is a good value for the entry level. But at the higher end, I think it might be. And a lot of people have been criticizing the new Mac Pro because of this. Because it isn't actually that great of a value. And it, it's not really for you. And I know like this is probably an Apple fanboy argument. I'm not an Apple fanboy, but... People don't really recognize the reason why you buy these sort of products. Think about it like this. We pay an insane amount for a college. And at the same time, the textbook prices are really high. Now, the average book probably costs like, what, $10. You might be able to get like... A really big book it's like you might be able to get the entire Game of Thrones series for like 50 bucks right they're huge books they're probably the same amount of paper you can get equivalent books 
but the educational books for college cost like hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. Why? Because we've been forced to pay that price, right? Because we pay an insane amount of money for college. And so, because even though the book prices are that high, we kind of were like, oh, okay, it's already going into college. College is already expensive. That's okay. We can afford it. We'll, we'll get an ROI. We'll get a good return on our investment. You know, we'll be making millions of dollars when we get out. And, you know, down the line, a few hundred dollars won't matter. And that's essentially the same mentality that a lot of these pro corporations use the same kind of principle. The idea is you give a pro, you know, a $6,000 computer, $10,000 computer, you know, even 3400,000 computer. You, know, you just give them insane computers with insane specs, but they save time, which means you gain money in the long run and they're overall happy and they're better and they make better products and ultimately you you gain money in the long run if you do things right by giving them an insanely expensive computer this is not a computer for the average person or even the average content creator maybe the high-end youtubers who can really see his performance because if you get out that video just you know just one second faster it could make the difference in terms of you count in terms of getting that ad revenue in terms of getting sponsorships etc etc you can really have it can really have an insane impact and for those people again it's all about like ROI you know it's all about return on investment in terms of these pro products if you look at it in terms of a consumer aspect of course these these products are going to be extremely overpriced why do I need them it has an RX 580X that GPU I can get on Newegg for one ninety nine. I can get it for maybe two ninety nine. Like, it it does not have the greatest specs, at least for the base model. But it has a lot of things that I think pros could actually use, and people don't really understand that. Of course, you can definitely build a computer that is better. And the other thing is, you can definitely build a custom PC that has far better specs, even at the high end. The issue is, in terms of support, a lot of um, you know companies are like, we want to get this pre-built computer because we want this company to support it, and Apple is probably the best in terms of customer support, and a lot of companies know this. That's why the uh, like if you if you look at say the Lenovo right the ThinkPads the ThinkPad the enterprise ThinkPads are always better than the consumer ones. Because they have to support them. Because if they don't, that's like... They're not going to get like a million dollars or however much these companies spend in order to maintain a partnership with them. So they need to make them good. And the other thing a lot of people have been talking about is the price of the monitor and the price of the uh, stand. So... in the pro world, I've actually done a, a, a little bit of research on the this topic, just because I thought it was pretty interesting. It's, people are kind of like bashing Apple for this. I, I mean, I love bashing Apple, but this is not one of the times. In the pro world, right, you, you normally have stands, you normally have, you know, vase amounts or etc. amounts 
that you already use and you already support. And the idea that Apple probably had is, you know, we don't really need to have, we don't really need to include a stand because most people have them already. So we'll just sell this monitor. It's uh, $6,000. But the thing is the competing monitors at, at that price, they're like, yeah, $6,000 for a monitor is insanely expensive. Like, and that doesn't include the stand, like a vase amount is $200. And yeah, people are thinking, oh, it's, it's incredibly expensive, but compared to the other pro equipment, it's not as expensive. And that's what a lot of companies are going to use to justify getting this insanely expensive, but insanely powerful monitor. So there's that. But the main thing that people were complaining about, and this was hilarious, I've never seen this at an Apple event. They introduced the stand, and the stand was, it, it looks amazing, right? It, it has pivot, it has a, you know, tilt, you can adjust it, you can move it up and down. It, it looks great, barely any bezels. What is it, 6K Retina, but I mean, the stand, not the monitor. The stand, like, they both looked amazing, but the stand, they kind of, in the product, like, announcement that they were doing before the actual reveal of the prices, they were kind of looking at it all as one, one thing. And then they announced that the stand was separate. So not only is it five, you know, $6,000 for a monitor, you have to pay an extra thousand bucks for the stand. It's not included in the box. It's a thousand bucks for a stand. Wow. That That's the stupidest thing. Why would you announce something like that? And the audience like gasped, they audibly gasped. And I've never seen that in Apple conference. Like Apple conferences, everyone's always like pissing their pants over, you know, Apple could release like uh, like ice shits or whatever and uh, people would just be pissing their pants screaming and laughing about the that product and they'd probably pre-order because that's just how apple fanatics are that's how the conferences always are and i've never seen them be that disappointed in a product now it's actually not that bad what they should have done is announced this stand is going to be, this monitor is going to be $7,000, but we'll have a special deal where if you uh, buy it separately, the stand is only 1000 bucks. If you want to buy a, a separate stand, a separate monitor is only, you know, $599, or, you know, $5,999. So they could have done something like that, and people probably would have been, oh, Apple is only charging, you know, Apple got rid of 1000 bucks off the price for... And you don't have to have the stand on it. That's good. No more e-waste. They could have done something like that. But instead they decided to... The way they presented it, they obviously didn't know the reaction. I don't know what they were thinking. And it was just hilarious. I, like... I don't know if they intended to have controversy. Maybe they were doing some sort of, you know, magical 3D chess or whatever they whatever you want to call it, maybe they're trying to stir up controversy and get more views, get more clicks on the Mac Pro. But whatever it is, 
it is is definitely very controversial. A lot of people are going to make fun of it, but I don't think it's that bad. And I I would love to bash Apple for this, but I I don't think it's that bad. I really don't. So that that's the main tech news this week. And of course, this would be a very short and very uh not really hot takes podcast if I didn't have many hot takes. I've had a couple. This would be a very cold takes podcast. So tune in for after the ad break and uh, we'll crank the heat up to a solid uh, 30 degrees Celsius, if you know what I mean. Do you love money? Do you want to get a new girlfriend? Well, have I got a proposition for you? Join Yelp's new ad program and you too can start a small business, make a shit ton of money, and get all the hot babes in the world. Just call 1-800-I'm-not-a-sellout.com. That's 1-800-fuck-you-yelp.com. And we're back. I, I'm sure you enjoyed that special sponsor segment by my favorite company in the world, Yelp. And... I call this the Hot Takes Podcast because I wanted to do something a little bit different. There's a lot of podcasts I've noticed that just summarize news and I'm not I'm not going to be one of them. I'm not going to say that I have zero biases because I don't. I'm a human being and human beings cannot have zero biases. At least not until robots write our news. Now, I actually saw a very good video by a man called Louis Rossman. If you don't know Louis Rossman, he essentially makes uh, videos explaining how to repair products. And he primarily does Mac stuff, but he also does a little bit of uh, like iPhone stuff from what I remember. But it's primarily Macs that he uh, repairs. And he shows you, you know, how how to like solder things on, how to fix this, how to fix boards. It's very he's a very good channel. He knows his stuff. He definitely knows his stuff, and he's he's a small business owner. Like his business has definitely skyrocketed over the past couple of years. Like I've been following him for maybe like five years, four years, on and off. I've kind of seen a couple of his videos pop up in my feed. I watched them, thought they were pretty cool, then like kind of stopped. But now I'm like subscribed to him and all of that, so just just pointing that out. So he is very controversial, and the reason why I'm bringing him up is there's a huge controversy with the Yelp that a lot of people don't know. Maybe some people do. If you're a small business owner, you will definitely know. But if you're not a small business owner, like. Uh, probably a majority of Americans, then Yelp apparently extorts their customers, their small business owner customers. Now, there's this huge controversy. So, Louis Rossman, he had a video on his channel. He had a series on his channel essentially explaining this. Now, if you're watching the YouTube version of this podcast, if I ever decide to upload it on YouTube, then you'll the description will show you where his YouTube channel is and like what the videos I'm talking about are. But essentially, what happened was there was a 
some salesman from Yelp. Now, if you don't know, Yelp does contact small businesses or other businesses on their platform saying, hey, do you want to advertise with us? Uh, it's only $2,000 a month. That was, that was how much his friend was paying. And, you know, some business owners are like, okay, we'll, we'll have Yelp advertising. Some business owners won't. So, he, this salesman comes in approaching him and he's like, she's like, hey, uh, Hey, do you want to sign up for a program? He says no. And then they continue to call him. They continue to, you know, harass him about signing up to this program. And he says, oh, well, I know my friend is, uh, you know, my friend is signed up for this program. He's paying, you know, a certain amount of money per month. He's not getting any, you know, extra sales or anything like that. And apparently his friend runs a similar business to him, like repairing stuff, essentially repairing technology and they show him his friend's personal information now that alone is an insane red flag like they were like you know they they were like oh well that's not true we have this information like why would you show that like it showed how much you know how many customers he was having you know how much money he's spending on yelp all of this stuff and obviously Lewis was like you know he kind of put it in a small screen so you couldn't actually see all this stuff but that's that's huge for a business especially for a business who you know they're not necessarily competitors they're probably friends but still you you wouldn't want to leak that sort of stuff to uh like not really a competitor but even to your friends like you there's certain things you need to keep private and I'm assuming the guy thought hey if I sign with this pro program you know Yelp will keep all my statistics all my information private as normally these companies do but that didn't happen that's a huge red flag and Lewis correctly called them out he talked to them said oh hey uh, you know this salesman showed me information about my friend that was private and they fired her and then he was like oh I didn't want it to be that hard you know you don't want to fire people for their mistakes like that but you just thought he kind of you know he regretted he clearly did in the video and essentially they they you know this guy called him back telling him you know what an asshole he was and they got this you know 21 year old uh, fired for essentially giving away information and this guy was like trying to I guess guilt trip him into spending money on this advertising program he said no and then he saw his first review now this this one star review on his uh, business on Yelp was essentially fake and the uh, person who wrote the review was a friend with this salesman. And this salesman, most likely what happened was the salesman was, they talked to their friend and like, oh, hey, this, this asshole was, got me fired from my job. And she wrote a terrible review on them. And apparently this, this account was like a Yelp elite, which I, I, get, I assume it means trusted member. And of course, I'm leaving out information. I, 
definitely watch the video. I might have gotten some stuff wrong, but this is essentially what happened. So uh, that's essentially like extortion almost. And it's not the first time people have reported about these things. In fact, there was actually a uh, lawsuit. Oh, Spotify. Yeah, thanks Spotify for like scaring the shit out of me right there. I don't know if you heard that vibration, but And we're back again. Yeah, sorry about that. But like I was saying, the the idea is that someone some salesman essentially went to Lewis said hey we want you to buy our product he said no he said his friend you know it didn't really work they sent him information about the friend that was private he got fired and then her friend essentially just made a uh, fake review so of course this this could just be a story about someone who was just really pissed off about the fact that her friend at Yelp uh, got fired over something stupid you know, the friends, people will just say, hey, this asshole on, uh, at New York got me fired because I, I, I was being nice to him. Like, people will say that. People, people just say whatever. And it could, of course, it could be something like that. It could just be something simple like that. But it's not. So, this isn't just a one and done story. This isn't just a, you know, one and done, hey, uh, we're just going to go after Lewis type situation. I didn't know this. I, I didn't think it was that bad. And I think I'm going to have a new segment for uh, something like this. I'll call it, uh, we'll call it like the takedown because that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? <laughs> but so for the Yelp takedown. A lot of people don't know that situations like this happen all the time. There's so many stories about people who are contacted by Yelp for this new advertising platform. Now, his friend paid $2,000 a month for it. Now, that's a lot. That is a lot for small business. Definitely. So, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. I don't know the specifics about this advertising platform. I'm sure if you're a small business owner you know because I'm assuming that they've contacted you and the idea that a lot of these stories try to show is that Yelp contacts you with this offer hey you you, you want to advertise on a platform only $2,000 a month these businesses are like no we don't want it they continue to robocall harass them essentially and they continue to say no and then eventually they start to receive fake reviews. Now, this is insanely devastating. Like, people don't realize this, but I didn't even realize. I assumed that every single Yelp review more or less was true. Like, if you got a one star, that was just because you, your restaurant's just terrible. I'm not going to go to whatever. But if what people are saying are true, is true about Yelp, 
this just changes the trust that I personally have for Yelp. It should it should change the trust that you have for Yelp because for years we've just assumed that Yelp always, you know, Yelp just gets rid of bots, get rid, gets rid of spammers and people just saying fake stuff about restaurants for one stars or whatever. You know, like the whole uh, what is it, uh, Kitchen Nightmares, the uh, Amy's restaurant or whatever. Where they were just acting crazy about the one-star Yelp review saying they're all fake. Now, apparently there is some truth to that. That Yelp, there's, there's been a lot of stories. And they've actually, business owners have actually sued Yelp. Now, they, they there was a ruling and they actually lost. Now, this is a direct quote from the, the lawsuit. Quote. As Yelp has the right to charge for illegal advertising services, the threat of economic harm that Yelp leveraged is, at most, hard bargaining. Let me repeat that. The threat of economic harm that Yelp leveraged is, at most, hard bargaining. Oh my... I, I'm, I'm stunned. How is that not extortion? You're essentially... You're knocking up to someone like... This is like something straight out of a mafia movie. You're, you're knocking up to someone with... You know, hey, if you don't pay some protection money... Then your business is going to go down in flame... As I spam you with thousands of one-star reviews. That, that's... How is that not extortion? What, because Yelp didn't have a gun? Is that what's required for extortion now? Do we do we need to only have guns now in order to qualify for extortion? Now, this case happened in September 2014. Now, maybe, maybe it'll change sometime soon because of the recent rise in, you know, a lot of politicians and politics aside, but there's just been a rise in general animosity against these big tech companies, Yelp being one of them. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but this could destroy a business. Like the threat, like this is essentially equivalent to the the mafia being like, oh, if you we if you don't comply with our demands for protection money, we're going to, you know, shoot down all your chickens or whatever the hell they ate in the nineteen forties. I don't really know. They're we're just going to, you know, bang bang bang. Your your storefront is done. And we're going to shoot all your customers. Like, I, it's not that bad. I'm exaggerating, of course. But y- you get the point. It's, it's not just hard bargaining. Hard bargaining doesn't mean that you're going to destroy their business if they don't comply. Like, essentially, a one-star review is destroying your business. Like, if you're a small company, you're, you're not company, if you're a small business just starting out, just... You know, you, you just start out, you got a couple customers, you got some good reviews, you got you got some good customers, good feedback, good product, and all of a sudden Yelp comes knocking down your door, demands money that you probably can't afford. Now most of these businesses probably can't afford like two thousand dollars a month is insane. Like the that's that's probably like that's like rent money for certain business of course depending on where you live right 
who knows maybe they change the the cost per uh per you know per state or per country etc maybe they do that i haven't really looked up too much like into the overall cost structure because i personally don't care if if it's five hundred dollars if it's two thousand dollars if it's one million dollars no matter the cost this is extortion it's crazy we don't really talk about it we just kind of assume that one star reviews means the restaurant's bad i'm not gonna go there but who knows like maybe they just didn't pay the money maybe they just because it's not extortion it's hard bargaining if you don't pay the money that's that's crazy and not only that they don't even take down negative reviews if it's true the courts have said uh in this case this is a great website obviously they actually did link the specific cases so this website is obviously biased towards uh yelp i'll have it in the link description youtube uh probably just search hot takes podcast hopefully i'm there but in in 2017 there was another supreme court there was another court case this time went to supreme court yelp so they ruled that yelp did not need to take down defamatory libelous reviews Yelp cannot be ordered to take down offensive or libelous material. And they didn't have a repeal an appeal in 2019. So for those of you wondering, even if it's fake, Yelp doesn't need to take it down. That's crazy. So essentially, they can just do whatever the hell they want to. There's no consequences for... Yelp could essentially just you know have some scammers on command just spam one star reviews on anyone who doesn't pay i mean we don't know there's clearly some connections like lewis rossman case isn't just the first one there's been multiple cases of this there's been like you you just need to google it and like for example there's a site called the takeout now obviously again some of these sites aren't the greatest, but they do provide accurate sources. So this is like Wikipedia, right? You, you got to look at the article, click on the sources if you really want to make sure. But I have done, I have actually clicked on sources. These are just the first ones I found. So there's this restaurant in, let me see where it is. Yeah, so there's there's these restaurants so apparently there was like 71 star reviews and that led to a 40% drop in business for a restaurant that's huge that is insane like most of these restaurants they survive on thin margins if you worked on a restaurant you you should know that these margins are very thin they're looking after every single penny they want to make sure that everything's just right now apparently there was a message on to the restaurant owner's Facebook that was like similar to the Yelp story, but not not from Yelp, from these scammers that are like, pay us nine hundred dollars and the one one star reviews go away. Now this is also extortion. Now if this is extortion, 
then the stuff about Yelp should also be extortion. I don't understand why we're trying to protect these massive tech companies. They are the standard oil of our time. They're even worse than standard oil. People don't realize just the impact that this has. So the story, so essentially they called the police and they didn't have any jurisdiction because apparently these scammers are from Romania. So these, this restaurant is just screwed. These are, like, people take online reviews so seriously. Now, maybe on Amazon, some people are like, oh, you know, they're fake. But on Yelp, they just assume that everything's true. You know, and if the restaurants complain about one-star reviews, then they're like, oh, well, Amy's Baking Restaurant, you know, they're just crazy. Now, some of them are crazy. There's always crazies out there. There's, there's always people that are like, you know, my, my restaurant is perfect. Everyone loves it. There's, there's always people like that. But the, the, the thing about this case is that Yelp doesn't have to do anything about it. Yelp could Yelp is not legally required to take down fake reviews. Even if they know they're fake. Even if it is extortion, they are not allowed to take it. So they could just hire these Romanian scammers and, you know, made a quick $2,000 on a month on ad revenue to get rid of them. They could do that. So. Yeah. It's, it's like. It's just insane. Like, I'm, I know I'm saying that a lot, but it's true. Like, I'm kind of speechless at figuring this out. Like, there's going to be a lot of water drinking in this one. My, my, my voice is just dying here. <laughs> but I knew that, you know, I know about fake online, online reviews. I'm not, I'm not an idiot, but. I knew that there was something wrong about Yelp, but I didn't think it was this bad. Like extortion, not taking down fake reviews. They're not legally obligated. Of course they're not. Of course they're not. And they they don't take down fake reviews. They they could be faking reviews. They're harassing people for extortion money. Like, when does it stop? When do we decide that, you know, is enough is enough? And they're 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 not like a small company. They're not they're they're huge. They're I believe they're on the uh, uh, stock market. I believe they're, they're yeah they're on the NYSE. They're they're a publicly traded company. They need to be responsible for their their actions and even when companies sue them even when they have proof the courts they don't want it to happen the, like people don't understand the importance of this you could essentially the american dream right the american dream is to you know own your own home to start a business to have the ability to start a business but 
at the beginning, most companies can't afford to pay $2,000 a month. Now, we, like, if you live in Hoboken, or if you live in New York, or if you, you live in, you know, cities, then you see these restaurants popping up and closing down all the time, right? You, you see it happen all the time. And sometimes they have terrible reviews, sometimes they have great reviews. But maybe it could have been because of Yelp. We don't know. And that's the scary part. For the past, you know, since 2004 or however long that Yelp has been popular, maybe since 2010 at least, we've been assuming that Yelp has got our back. That there's this, you know, now we have an idea as to what these restaurants are. We didn't have to just trust restaurant critics. We could trust real people. Some sort of middleman, right? But for a lot of these companies, a lot of these companies birthed in the internet era, in the Facebook era, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, the mid-2000s, early to mid-2000s, these companies have always been middlemen. And we've kind of assumed, oh, our data is secure in their servers. They're not going to, you know, they're going to get rid of fake reviews. Even though they have an advertising platform, they are not going to extort people for money. Because, you know, that'd be bad. The government would do something about it. But no. They refuse. They don't need to. They don't legally need to. Like, this is crazy. Now, you might be thinking, oh, well, what, what's a big deal? You know, there's only one guy. There's there's not. There's multiple companies like, like, uh, like this. Multiple companies that do the same thing. And we, we just don't, like, think about it. Now, that's the reason why I wanted to try doing these, you know, takedown videos. Uh, maybe, maybe, I know this is a podcast. If you're maybe, lis- if you're listening to this on a podcast, there's probably going to be a separate video just exclusively this. So, I don't really know what I'll call the YouTube channel if I decide to make it, but I, I think, I think this is good. Now, this these these uh like these websites of course link in the description if you're watching on youtube these websites are a little bit sketchy but trust me just click on the links the links are all accurate it's just the websites are a little bit tabloidy don't focus on the content focus on the links if you want to have hard proof so let's see let me look at one other um uh proof of extortion here proof of so So, of course, Yelp, Yelp denies this, right? If you actually go on their website, let me talk about this first. So, big, bold, well, not only big, bold letters, but Yelp does not extort local businesses or manipulate ratings. There has never been a connection between ratings or reviews on Yelp and buying advertising. Yelp's mission is to connect people with great local businesses. Since day one, the trust in our review content has been our top priority. Yelp treats reviews of advertisers and non-advisors exactly the same. And it's just a bunch of like, uh, garb like people like business owners essentially saying how great Yelp is in the video. So it's like Yelp.com says extortion. The fact that they need to have something like that. <laughs> Like, imagine if Apple had, like... Actually, they do. They they do. There's there's an antitrust lawsuit on uh, 
or not not on Apple on Google. We'll talk about that maybe, maybe next next uh, week, following week. I want to do more of these takedowns. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know. But the fact that you need to have something like that on your on your website, like. Imagine if LinkedIn had LinkedIn.com slash extortion. The fact that it even needs to be said means that there's potentially something there. Let's be honest here. If there's thousands of business owners saying, hey, we got a call from Yelp. Hey, now we're getting one-star reviews. Then you have to think to yourself, there's probably something wrong. So... Let's go on to this next uh, post. So, same, basically the same situations from the New York Post. So, keep in mind, this is just, like, the, the people talking to each other. So, I don't think this could be fake. This could be, no, not real. But I think it's, I think it's real. I think it's real. So, So this restaurant was, they were kind of critical about Yelp. They didn't like online reviews. So instead of trying to get good reviews, they were like, oh, let's get terrible ones. There's hundreds of one-star reviews, and they were just trying to protest um, the extortion practice. Now Yelp consistently tries to claim, oh, it doesn't happen, oh, it doesn't happen, when there's so many people saying that it's true. You kind of just have to think, like, this is, this, this is like hundreds of small businesses that gets a huge company with, like, millions of shareholders who makes a, a bunch of money per year. And there's clearly a conflict of interest here. There, there definitely is. So, you know, like, so th- this, they essentially just created a bunch of fake reviews and tried to get a ton of attention and they did, they succeeded. It was a great protest on Yelp. So of course they have great lawyers. Now this is talking about the lawsuit. Now this is a great quote, like I know I'm not really, <laughs> this podcast is going to sound a little weird because this is my second time doing this. I'll get better at it. I promise. I promise I'll get better at it. But it's my, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll, I'll get better at that too. But so here, here we go. So there's a, there's a great comment by this judge. And there was another you know, small claim judge, California said that Yelp was, quote, a modern-day version of mafia going to stores and saying, you want to not be bothered? You want to not have incidents in your store? Pay us protection money. Now, this is a small claim judge, right? And they actually, they actually won this lawsuit, which is actually pretty interesting. But then was overturned by a higher, higher court which said that an arbitrator, like this dispute should be solved by an arbitrator, not the court. Then this guy didn't pursue his claim. There's this like, 
huge like then they went back and they actually sued this guy <laughs> they sued this small business saying that uh his employees submitted fake Yelp reviews I guess in order to try and like sue them like does this company have like a huge victim complex or something because that's what it seems like it seems like this like they're trying to play the victim here maybe they're just they're lawyers like see here's the thing even if you get extorted by Yelp how the hell can you like fight against that you you can pay the you know you can pay the Yelp terrorists their money when they put a gun to you but if you don't you're going to get shot yeah you can try you can try and like you know get John Wick over there uh, help you like try and get him to you know stab him in the back or whatever whatever he does you can you can try to get them to do that but the, it's not going to happen they just have better guns they have better lawyers is what i'm trying to say they have way better lawyers than you ever will have a small business even if you have hundreds and thousands like of small businesses all teaming up you're still screwed and that's saying something now the idea Yelp is actually trying to defend themselves in this article they say that you know they have an algorithm everyone has an algorithm it's not you're not special for having an algorithm they 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 actually sometimes remu- remove le- legitimate reviews to get rid of fake ones, which I, I don't know if it's a good idea to be admitting that. That see the thing is, they don't even know what the actual algorithm is. They've been keeping it secret. Like all of these algorithms, like the YouTube algorithm, like the Google algorithm. <laughs> there there's so many algorithms that these companies just keep secret. We just don't know. That somehow mysteriously benefit them in certain ways. You know, we, we just don't know. We don't know what it is. So. Well, yeah, they. That's the basic idea behind this article. Now, I know it's a little bit long winded, but I, I, I recommend reading it. I recommend reading it. Now, there's a lot of these Yelp reviews, like how to do it, how to deal with it. Most of them say, see, here's the thing. It is very easy to write a fake review. I can do it in seconds. I can like, you know, I have beef with a lot of companies and that's why these takedown videos are going to happen. I like, I like, I like this. It's fun. You know, it's nice to, now you can finally see some of the things that Yelp has. Now, am I the greatest takedown person in the world? No. But it's so easy. It's so easy. Like, say I'm an employee at Yelp. I hate Lewis Rossman. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because he has great, he has a, you know, he has a receding hairline. Like, I don't know. Like, you hate Lewis Rossman, so you go there, put a one-star review, that's it. His business now has a one-star review. Maybe you get your friends, five-star one. You know, you get five one-star reviews. 
Friends, friends, 101 star reviews, and so on and so forth. Get scammers, 3,001 star reviews. And suddenly, Lewis Rossman's business has declined, has tanked. Because there's only so many people that want to do board repairs. There's only so many people that want to that have Max in New York. And they go to his friend, you know, his competitor, his enemy. And then he's, he's done. Now, how hard is it to prove that? Not only does Yelp legally have the ability to just say, no, you know, we, we don't need to delete those reviews. They can, they can do that now. They, they're legally, they're not obligated to delete reviews. So it's on you for the burden of proof. It's on you to figure out how to remove these reviews. That's so hard, right? Like, like Lewis got that one one-star review in his video. He got it removed because he found evidence. But instead of one, imagine if it was a thousand. How the hell are you going to find evidence for a thousand people that they're all fake? And if you're a small business, you don't have the time nor the patience. Even if you have a customer base, you know, of 50 people, you know, 50 regulars, that's not, that's not bad for a restaurant, you know, that's like 50 regulars and then like, you know, people just come in once in a while. People just come in. Like the 50 regulars all review, all leave reviews for a small business. And then there's a thousand, you know, scammers. And Yelp won't do anything about it. You're done. You are done. You will never succeed. And people don't realize this. Like I said, there, there's a thousand restaurants opening and closing in New York every day. In New York, and Hoboken, in any city in the world. There's a thousand. And we just kind of trust Yelp. Like, when you search uh, Lewis Rossman on Google, like, one of the first results you probably get, it's, like, Yelp. Like, his Yelp page. Like, any restaurant, you go to their Yelp page. And pretty soon, Google, like, is actually going to show results from Yelp. That That's crazy to me, because there's no way that we... Like, Yelp has admitted, like, legally speaking, they do not have a responsibility to delete this content. And not only that... They have been proven to extort money from businesses. They there's there's so many stories. Like they can't all be fake. Like sure, I, for all we know, Lewis Rossman's thing could just be, hey, the friend of a friend put a bad review, who is somehow a Yelp elite status member, but we we don't like. For all we know, maybe it's tangential, maybe it's just, you know, circumstance or whatever, but for me at least, I think that there's just too many stories. Now, I'm going to put a couple of them in the comments. I, I don't have the time, like, I don't have, like, three hours to go through every single story that I've heard, but I've seen plenty of stories in my research for this uh, this video or this podcast, depending on where you listen to, watch to. I've... I've I've seen, I've heard and seen so many stories and there's probably so many more that are going to be created until this gets stopped. Now, here's my biggest problem. Yelp does not have any competitors at the moment. I think Yelp is pretty much the only one. Like, these tech companies, they're in so many spaces that, and they just have zero competitors. We don't talk about it. 
these are the next robber barons. They are the like the next monopolist, next Standard Oil, the next AT and T. Whatever the hell it was called before is AT and T. They're the they're going to destroy this country from the inside out, in my opinion. Now, I know I'm exaggerating a bit, but trust me. In think about it like this. If Yelp truly was extorting their customers, if Yelp was truly, they would have so much power. Every single, like, every single, like, American dreams, like, every single person dreams of opening a business. Like, some people don't, but, like, most people do. Most people like to do it. Now, it's already so hard with regulations, with, you know, rising rent costs, with, the amount of like social media and stuff you need to put in order to advertise. Now just imagine you're you've created a business, you you've gone through all that hurdle and you you decide to not pay the Yelp money because you physically can. And then you just lose your business because of all the one stars or maybe one one star. That's all it takes. Like for me, at least, right? Like I know no like if a product is a like a five star then I'll know that there's probably something wrong. Maybe they bought their product or, you know, they got some scammers to, you know, put five stars. But if it's like a three star, even. Like if it's a three star average, I'm probably not going to go there. I'm going to be real here. I'm probably not going to go there. And for a small business, like... If you look on average, like, it's only a couple one-stars. Like, potentially three one-stars could destroy a nascent business. And I know I'm repeating this point. And I'm repeating this point because it's so important. We trust all of these tech middlemen with all of this data, with all of this importance. Like, they could destroy the restaurant business as we know it, and we would never know. For all we know, they have been taking away legitimate reviews and, you know, missing some fake ones and potentially destroying these restaurants using their secret algorithm that we know nothing about. Like, for all we know, they they just have so much control and we don't talk about it. And it's one of the reasons why I dislike Yelp. Now, I have to use it, right? There are no other places that are as popular for restaurant reviews as Yelp is. There's some nascent ones, there's some ones starting up, but none of them are as popular. They essentially have a monopoly on the business. And I hope, I know this this portion of the video has been very long, probably like 40 minutes, maybe more, about an hour podcast. But this is just a glimpse at what's to come. We have a lot, a lot more tech companies to take down next week i don't really know what it is but i'm gonna be real here google has an antitrust lawsuit qualcomm shitters they they have a bunch of patents we need to talk about no one talks about it but there are plenty more companies to take down and i think that'll be the end of the podcast if you're watching on youtube all the sources will be in the description my voice is dying but i don't care because i hope yelp dies too see you next time Well, hello, good morning, good evening, wherever and whoever you are. 
This is the, I guess, the second episode of the Hot Takes Podcast. I do like the name, so that's what we'll be calling it. So there was a lot of stuff that was actually announced at E3 this week, and that's primarily the things that have been going on. And the first thing I want to talk about is the uh, Xbox announcement. So for those of you who don't know, Microsoft announced Project Scarlet formally announced Project Scarlet and this is going to be the next generation Xbox Xbox 2 I don't really know what you're going to call it I don't really know what they're going to call it just because they went from Xbox to Xbox 360 to the Xbox One somehow maybe they'll call it Xbox 720 but the interesting thing is that the new Xbox there's going to be most likely two versions. I think Microsoft is probably not going to focus on our traditional view of what an Xbox is as much as say Sony will. Because Microsoft, I think Microsoft and Google and all these other uh, tech companies who aren't specifically focused on gaming are now trying to get in on uh, gaming for cloud streaming purposes and Microsoft has xCloud, Google has uh, Stadia both of which are they're nascent you know they're I don't think Stadia, Stadia was also just announced in terms of pricing it isn't that great from what I remember I'll talk about that later but uh, they're not really going to focus on the actual physical console itself because that's not really where the uh, money is per se I don't think because what they want to do is they definitely want to sell their cloud streaming services like Azure is their most popular their biggest money seller just probably it it's what allows them to make all these shitty decisions in terms of Windows and in terms of everything else that's just how it is so with xCloud, they're trying to compete with Stadia, they're trying to, uh, I believe they announced that they're using uh, Epic processors, or they might even go the route of stacking Xbox One or Xbox Two consoles, and then having each of them as a specific, uh, you know, as a specific, you know, if you have one user, you could get an Xbox console in the cloud, something like that. I believe certain services, certain cloud services do that for MacBooks and etc. There, there's all different sorts of ways they can do this. Of course, the major issue with cloud gaming that people need to solve before it is ever official is uh, mainly the lag, the input lag. And especially for places that don't really have the connection. And it's not just in you know, rural Alabama or whatever that people have terrible internet. Even in the United States, like, I feel like as a minimum, you probably need to have, say, 15 megabytes consistent. And not too many people have that, if you think about it. Like, the because not only that, like, now you're not just, like, if you're living in, say, a family, like... Most of these, I'm assuming the people who are buying xCloud, like, not initially, 
but after the initial launch, like the the casual like gamers, real gamers, not necessarily people who are solely involved invested in say technology, but actual gamers, who who play. Like, some people live with their family, and their family, you know, they're they're watching Netflix constantly, playing other games, and unfortunately, most people don't really have the bandwidth for cloud streaming. And I think this is going to be an issue that they need to solve in the future, especially as more and more devices come onto these networks because there's going to be more and more smart home, IoT sorts of stuff, and that's going to clog it all up. And eventually, most homes probably won't be capable of cloud streaming who are in the market. So that could be a really big issue in the future. It's not really an issue currently but it's in the future of course like the u.s does not have the greatest internet infrastructure it's very unfortunate it, it's because of you know these duopolies if you don't know essentially a lot of these a lot of places in the u.s that aren't like new jersey isn't one of them unfortunately new jersey is not one of them but there's certain places that are you know not really as densely populated, not really that well known, that have just terrible infrastructure because there's a duopoly or there's a monopoly on the internet providers. So there's that issue too, and that essentially means that you you're you're either getting some sort of terrible service or you're getting a service that with potentially great speeds, but you have a limit as to how much you can actually download. And both of these things are going to come into the pl into play if Stadia and xCloud are going to become popular in the future. Now, I don't think this is a play for, like, say, one to two years. Two years, I one year is going to be the launch. They, they're probably going to launch it in holiday of 2020. That's what they announced, I believe, at uh, Microsoft's conference, and Sony's probably going to follow suit around holiday 2020. So the actual, like, specs of the console probably aren't that important in the long run because I think Microsoft does not care about their uh, physical console beyond... They actually announced that you could use uh, your console as an xCloud server. It's actually pretty interesting. I wonder if they could have some sort of, say, distributed network of um, Xbox consoles. So, for example, whenever you're not using it, your console could be in use for someone else and you would get compensated in terms of some sort of uh, Xbox Live Gold or some something like that. That could be a very interesting, like an idea of like a distributed network. Because unfortunately with these servers, there's some people just don't live next to them. And if you're too far away from a server, if you live in a country without servers, then that could be a really big problem having sort of distributed network of Xboxes could actually be the key in terms of providing long-term support and just flexibility, stability in general for uh, for xCloud. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, hopefully you didn't hear that uh, notification, but I, I, I think that, that xCloud is actually going to change a lot like how we perceive gaming because if you don't know cloud streaming for games had that it's been done already there's a company called uh on live 
I don't know if you remember this. This is a while back. There's a couple companies, but I, th I think it was like online. But there's another company. I remember I was playing. This is back in uh, 2013, 2014. I was playing uh, Crisis Two. This Crisis Two streamed. And it was okay. Like I, I was streaming Crisis Two for my like really shitty laptop using I think it was online or gecko or something like that so what whichever one that sony bought and uh created playstation now with so it, it's not like cloud streaming has kind of been a thing for a while but we haven't really had the infrastructure to do it until now i think and i i think it could be big i think i don't know if we're going to ever replace traditional console just because Say, for example, with fighting games, right? It, like, if you're even remotely interested in fighting games, you cannot have input delay at all. Like, like if you're playing a fighting game that it's... You need to have, like, f precise frame inputs. Like, people don't even like playing wireless controllers on fighting games just because there's sometimes there's some sort of input delay or input lag. Of course, with casual gamers casual gamers can play on xcloud or something like that but for the hardcore and like even mid-level gamers i think they're probably going to prefer a physical console instead of using cloud streaming of course as the technology progresses as we get further and further into the advancement i'm pretty sure we're going to negate or at least close the gap between traditional consoles and cloud streaming because I think the great, like, really the main benefit is that you can play on whatever, wherever and whenever you want. Like, you can, like, this effectively could kill the Switch, which is actually, like, I mean, Nintendo's always going to have great games. But kill the Switch as in, like, a lot of people buy the Switch for its portability, right? Like, people, you know, there's... People always want Switch ports, not necessarily because the Switch is the most powerful console, but because the Switch is portable, and there's no other uh, console on this market that is portable and that can offer the same advantages uh, as the Switch, other than the, uh, uh, what is it, the Smash Z that was just abandoned where until apparently, it, apparently it's trying to release in September, which is going to be interesting using a uh it's like a ryzen cpu those like 12 watts it's probably gonna be used for some basic indie games and stuff like that i i don't think it's gonna be very powerful but moving al along to the nintendo conference i i think i personally think nintendo won e3 and there's a lot of surprises of course i was expecting a new switch hardware revision but there was not a new switch hardware revision uh, NVIDIA did kind of hype it up a little bit in their uh, investors meeting actually there were they were basically talking about how there was going to be more inventory there was going to be a lot more inventory so I don't really know what happened there I don't really know uh, uh, maybe E3 isn't the best maybe they're going to launch it in say November or uh, September to take advantage of holiday sales instead of announcing it now because that would essentially kill the switches, uh, depending on what they announce, of course. 
but yeah, Nintendo definitely won E3 by far was the best conference. Of course, the main reason why is a lot of people are, are a lot of companies are preparing for the new console generation to come up and this is we saw this with uh, the PlayStation 3 when the PS4 was coming out and with the Wii U when the Switch was coming out. People they're kind of just holding their cards to their hand, you know, holding them to their chest just making sure that they have enough for the launch. Because of course, if you if your console generation is going to be this big, like the, there's a lot of things that are going to be announced that I think this console generation is going to be very very different from the last. Like you'd assume, so the next generation consoles they're probably using Zen two processors, RDNA, but as a lot of people noted, uh, we're going to talk about AMD's conference later, but the next gen consoles. RDNA Zen 2 so Zen 2 is going to release this year but the RDNA GPUs and IV GPUs that actually have all the features that Sony and Microsoft are announcing have not been released are not going to be released this year it's actually a 2020 thing and the CPUs on the consoles if they're actually going for 8 core most likely they're probably getting some sort of deal from AMD by going with underclocked lower bin versions of the 8-core processors, like, uh, I think it was uh, about $350 or something like that, uh, uh, the Ryzen 7, I believe. Yeah, Ryzen 7, so they're probably going with lower bin, uh, lower power chips underclocked most likely if they're going for eight cores rather than going for say laptops maybe they're going for APUs too that could be a thing an eight core APU like the uh, uh, previous but the one thing that's going to make this generation really interesting is now developers have the they can actually use the CPU the consoles won't necessarily be CPU limited and so that could actually play I, I know I kind of neglected on switch but I think this is pretty interesting because the switch already is having issues and I don't think the switch is very powerful it, it frankly it wasn't even powerful back in 2017 it was the Tegra X1 is far updated and Nintendo basically used it for cheapness and because Nvidia kind of failed in the market but now there isn't really an upgraded path, I don't think, for the uh, the Switch. Unless Nintendo is trying to upgrade to the uh, 2017 X2, which was announced. It's funny, they, they announced a new, uh, a new hardware chip and they, they used the old one. But I don't know how Nintendo is going to get any really any of these next generation ports. Because the Switch simply isn't powerful enough. Maybe I could see something interesting happening in which Nintendo partners with Microsoft and has xCloud on their uh, Switch. I could see that happening. And especially considering Banjo got in as uh, a Microsoft representative. So who knows? We could actually see that happening. And that, that could be uh, pretty interesting. It could be Nintendo and Microsoft versus Sony. I don't think Microsoft actually cares about the uh, 
the specific Xbox versus Switch versus PlayStation. I think they're more focused on becoming the leader in terms of technological space now because they realize they can't really compete. Like, if you look at their actual, like, software deck, right? Like, in terms of exclusive, they have, what, Forza? I, I love Forza, but it, it's certainly not going to be, like, the defining, hey, you should get an Xbox for the Forza. Because not everyone likes racing games, and there's, of course, there's Project Cars, and there there's, for Motorsport, and there's, uh, for Horizon, there's, uh, uh, what's it, Ubisoft uh, Crew or whatever. And, of course, uh, PlayStation, there's Gran Turismo, but, of course, you can always, they can always make a Horizon competitor if they wanted to. But yeah, there's. It's going to be interesting to see this next next generation because. It's it's going to be like I don't think it's going to be competitive. And this could be very bad. People haven't really realized how, like. Normally, the way things have worked, PlayStation and uh, Sony have kind of. Sony and, uh, and Microsoft kind of go back and forth on in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, console generations. And of course, it happened to pass with Nintendo and Sega. But now each of the uh, people in the space have kind of caved out their own chunk of the market. Now, sure, there's going to be overlap in Xbox for the first couple of years... But after that, I think Microsoft is going to transition to xCloud. And at that point, we'll have Microsoft focused on the cloud, because if you don't know, if you don't remember, PlayStation actually announced that they were partnering, or Sony announced that they're partnering with uh, Microsoft for xCloud. Sony does not have any proprietary cloud technology that they're willing to use for game streaming outside of PlayStation now, so this could be very interesting. Essentially, each hardware manufacturer, Microsoft has xCloud, uh, Sony has their PlayStation single-player games, and Nintendo has the portable market. So essentially, they're not really competing with each other in the traditional sense. They all have their own corners of the market. Instead, they're competing with do you want to have my corner of the market? Do you are you are you a portable gamer? Get a Switch. Are you, are you a cloud gamer? Get an Xbox, or get get an X Cloud subscription. Are you a single player gamer? Get a PlayStation. So, this has happened in the past. Like this is essentially how the technology industry works. If you think about it. Right? Because there isn't really any, say for example, there isn't really any Twitter competitors. There isn't really any Facebook competitors. But there are people that create new technologies, like say, for, exa for example, Snapchat or Instagram or so forth and so on, that don't necessarily compete in the traditional sense, but they do provide new advantages that, like, you wouldn't say, for example, Snapchat and Facebook are identical but they each serve a purpose of being a social media. So in a sense, they don't necessarily have competitors. Each of these applications are monopolies in their own market, 
but they're all competing for our attention. So it's a very interesting play. Like a lot of people haven't really thought of this. But if if it pans out in the way that I think it will, we could we could see a, a console space that more closely mirrors our current technology space. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing is I, I don't really know. Maybe we could see potentially more consoles come in as specific spheres their own their own space and trying to vie for our attention, vie for our money in different ways than traditional consoles do. Like maybe that's the key to you know entering the space and I honestly don't think Google can compete just because they don't have any history like Google sure they can like sure you can pay developers to port their stuff to Stadia like sure you can do all that but when you don't have exclusives like no one's going to buy your cloud whereas Microsoft has actually invested heavily and I think they're going to use these exclusives not necessarily to bump up the new Xbox they probably don't even care about how many Xbox units they sell anymore they want to bump up their X Cloud, and it's it's insane like this is not how traditionally how the uh, console market worked and that's this is not how it worked for the past you know uh, however long uh, 20 years since the NES it's kind of crazy if you think about it but yeah like that's that's the main news in terms of consoles so I'll be back after a quick ad break to talk about AMD and all the other fun stuff do you have the loudest shrieking man voice ever known in the history of man do you love Todd Howard with the fire of a thousand suns well join Bethesda's E3 conference Sit in the front row and be sure to annoy everyone and anyone that listens to it. Call 1-800-TODD-HOWARD-SUCKS.COM That's 1-800-TODD-HOWARD-SUCKS.COM For your chance at this exclusive offer, an exclusive opportunity to work with the one and only Todd Howard. Alright, did you guys enjoy that ad break? I hope you did. Well, let's talk about Bethesda first. Oh god. Bethesda was awful. I don't think I've ever seen... Like, this year's E3 was bland, and that's okay. Like, I was kind of... I, I wanted... I hoped for something better. But unfortunately, the PS5 is coming out. Xbox uh, 2 or whatever is coming out. So, people are kind of holding their cards close to their hands. They're, they're kind of... They're not really showing too much. They're they're definitely not. But Bethesda. So for those of you who don't know, uh, first of all, Fallout seventy six. That game was an atrocious disaster, and Bethesda tried to apologize with it at like. They tried so hard, they like they at least admitted that it was bad. 
But now it got even worse. It has a battle royale mode. For those of you who didn't think there was enough battle royales on the market, you can now play another one. Only instead it'll bug you out and it'll uh, glitch you the first place out of uh, 55 people or however many was it. That conference was honestly, it was one of the worst I've seen at, at that E3. I don't think it's the worst of all time, definitely not, but it was definitely one of the worst. There, the only thing that saved it from being like the worst is Doom, and that's just because Doom is Doom. Like They could have shown us anything. Like We all know that Doom Eternal is going to be good. Probably going to be great. But everything else... They rebooted Commander Keen, out of all things. <laughs> what? As a mobile game, and it looked terrible. There was a lot of mobile. There was too much mobile at Bethesda, and I think they're trying to, you know, get a, a cash out. They, they have to appeal to investors. You know, I, I understand. I understand. They didn't show any uh, new Elder Scrolls uh, information. From what I from what I saw, they they only showed Elder Scrolls Online. They're probably saving that for next E3 for the next gen consoles. I'd imagine, I'd hope. It was just there. Were, the worst part about it, like this was a mediocre. This wasn't even mediocre. This this was like a D minus conference, D minus, and the crowd was just going nuts, over what. I don't think I've ever seen, like, look, Apple conferences are pretty bad, like, but even at Apple, when Apple announced a $999 uh, monitor stand, people, like, audibly gasped, they're like, this is a terrible idea, they knew, but <laughs> at, at Bethesda, people were, like, losing their minds over mobile games that look like garbage like i love mobile games mobile games can be amazing but the commander king game looked like straight up out of 2000 like 2005 like doodle jump if you remember they look like doodle jump it looked terrible it was like that conference was just it was so bad I think I think just the worst thing was just how like how the the audience was like what do they have like a gun pointed to their head they get paid for it there's this one guy that was just screeching like wow hey like <laughs> come on look I get if you're excited about a game or something, something really cool, but the people watching E3 don't need to hear your drunken screeches whenever Todd Howard gets on the stage. Like, I can barely remember what Bethesda actually announced. Like, there wasn't really too much. Oh yeah, that Ghostwire game was pretty cool. Like that, that uh, one woman, pretty cool. Doom Eternal, yeah, Fallout seventy six. You can try it for free. It it might be potentially free to play, as it should have been. 
if you bought this game for $60, you got screwed. Absolutely screwed. Yeah, 52 players. And there's a Elder Scrolls Blade. The mobile game is coming out for Switch for some reason. Rage 2 is getting a new expansion, and there's something about game streaming. So there was no, there was no, uh, Starfield information. There's no, like, Elder Scrolls 6 information. And they were desperately trying to get people excited for this, and I, how much alcohol did these guys have? Like, what, are they just getting plastered, like, I don't understand that like I don't think this was the worst conference I've ever seen but this was up there like look Doom Eternal is a good game but not even th that could like save it from a D minus like Doom Eternal like everyone's excited about it. it's a great game but if even that, like, if Doom Eternal was not there, I think it would have been an F. I, I personally think it would have been an F conference. There was nothing of note. Everything looked pretty bad. There's a lot of just random stuff. Look, it looked cool, but it's not what people wanted. Definitely not what people wanted. So, yeah, that... It was, it was horrible. For those of you who watched it live like I did, uh, hats off to you. Let's see. Alright, AMD. So speaking of disappointment, let's talk about AMD. Uh, I was so happy. I, I wanted this to be good. I. It wasn't. It wasn't. Like... I love AMD, look. I, I love AMD. I love what they're doing with Ryzen. Zen 2 is amazing. But, like, so the one new CPU thing they announced was, like, 16-core CPU, $750. That is 4.7 gigahertz. Could potentially overclock to 5, maybe. This blows Intel out of the water. They're already, like, done. This is just a death blow. But their GPUs, oh god. So they announced two GPUs. The uh, let me get the specific model numbers here. So there's the RX uh, 5700 XT and the RX 5700. So the 5700 XT is the 7 nanometer GPU competing with the 2070, and the 5700 is the 7 nanometer GPU competing with the RTX 2060. That's roughly 1080 and 1080 Ti. For those of you who uh, don't really know too much about the RTX GPUs. So, top of line GPU in Navi is $449 and the 5700 is $379. So, the RTX 2070 is $499 and the $2060 is $349. So you're getting roughly 50 to 30 dollars saved for what? 
like it's slightly faster maybe but it's it's not that good like Nvidia has announced like there's a whole super thing a lot of people know it's essentially a slight slight upgrade to the current RTX cards and so the uh, current RTX cards might get a discount and if that's the case Navi is dead in the water look even if the RTX 2060 can barely do RTX it doesn't matter it's marketing people associate Nvidia with gaming performance and I've said this before it's you need to have a halo product right and that's the uh, 2080 Ti the Titan like even if people can't afford it even if it's the most expensive thing ever having a halo product trickles down and look people have always assumed that AMD was the cheapest one like the cheap you get in the cheap uh, thing that'll maybe match in performance and it, it kind of is but they've also adopted the trend of having one of the worst GPU prices of all time and I think a, a, this actually might draw people to consoles just because it's not really that much value if you think about it and the consoles are probably gonna come out with maybe 2060 performance so 1080 maybe like they want to try and get to 4K 120Hz, of course, 120FPS, of course that's probably not going to happen. Maybe 1080p 120 could happen. I could see that being realistic. Because most people do have 1080p stuff, 1080p monitors, 1080p TVs, average person does. So potentially 1080 or 2060 roughly performance. A console that's going to be around 400 to 500 dollars yeah if that's the case gpus are not worth it like the gpu market has kind of gone off the rails for no reason whatsoever just because nvidia can and nvidia will absolutely destroy amd with these prices and we all know the reason, right? Like AMD has gotten a lot of investors in the recent years. AMD stock price has gone up massively. For those of you who've invested in AMD, uh, I remember when AMD was at like what five dollars, like two dollars. These people are just mad about FX eight three five zero. Like, look, FX eight three five zero. Like that bulldozer wasn't actually that bad. I have one. It's sure it's super hot, super loud, but it still provides great performance. And it got eight cores back in the day for a cheap price wasn't that bad but AMD has investors now and unfortunately investors are just haranguing them about getting better profit margins especially on GPUs so I don't think that these cards will be that great of value and I think AMD needs to learn a little bit of a lesson like RTX 2070 look you can get it for lower bin cards you can get for a little bit cheaper than four ninety nine, like you can get them for a little bit cheaper than three seventy nine or uh, three ninety nine. So there, there really isn't much reason to buy these new Navi cards. 
I think, especially considering the new consoles that are coming out in uh, 2020, and potentially the new cards that are coming out in 2020, which may actually provide hardware-based ray tracing, which could be interesting to see, because the next-generation consoles do support it. So maybe in 2021, actually, we could see hardware-based ray tracing in the Navi 2 or whatever they want to call it. So that would just be a massive slap in the face to anyone who actually buys these cards. Like, these cards are probably the least worth it out of all of uh, AMD's releases, I think. And I know fine wine and all that is true. Like, for those of you who don't know, fine wine is, like, the idea that AMD's cards kind of get better over time. It does happen. It's happened with every single release before. NVIDIA's cards normally get slower after time. AMD's cards normally get faster. That's also because of VRAM in general. Like... The VRAM requirements for many games have actually been going up. And of course, if you buy, say, a 6GB card now, it'll be good enough, but five years down the line, it might not, it'll run out of memory. Whereas if you buy an 8GB card, which AMD normally goes for, especially in the mid range, like if you go for an 8GB card or a 16GB card in terms of VRAM, in terms of uh, GPU, then you'll be well suited for the future and that's one of the key benefits of AMD like the key informal benefits so then let's talk about formal so if you do buy the Navi cards I think one of the best things there's something called anti-lag it's it's really weird the idea that you can somehow reduce lag just through software I I think it's kind of, a, it might be a sham, I don't know, of course AMD did show some impressive results at their E3 conference, I think it was about like 2 frames less, so for a lot of people, you know, a couple frames here and there isn't really going to matter, but for competitive people, 2 frames is an insane advantage, just for having a different GPU. So this could be huge in the future if, and of course a lot of people on the, uh, like, have been, who have been discussing this, they've actually said that this isn't necessarily hardware, so it could be software and it could be baked into any uh, GCN-based product, so that means everything but Vega and uh, Radeon 7, I believe. Potentially, and maybe even potentially port it over to those too. So that could be a huge advantage for esports people who want the like the least laggy experience. That's probably the major advan the major thing that they announce in terms of uh, real features. But of course, there's probably going to be more. There's another thing like I forgot what it's called, but it essentially allowed you to have like also anti lag is with zero performance. Uh, degradation according to AMD of course you know you can't really believe uh, AMD you definitely shouldn't believe the people that present on E3 in terms of actual specifications but I I think it probably will provide maybe a couple frames maybe maybe one or two FPS and the other thing announced was better imaging better image quality overall in terms of games there's a slight difference 
It's similar to, uh, I believe it was uh, NVIDIA's DLSS, if I'm not mistaken. So that could be a key feature too. So I think AMD, oh yeah, one more thing. The final thing on AMD, they announced that the new is like overall uh, gaming performance of these Zen 2 chips. And that was actually pretty interesting. Because they actually beat their, they beat or get close to their Intel competitors. And this was before the security mitigations and all of that. For those of you who don't know, Intel has a history of ignoring security for performance and it shows in the long run. And AMD has actually been more supported by, uh, by Windows actually. The latest update, if you're on Ryzen or uh, Zen or etc then definitely be sure to update your Windows if you're a Windows user because they fixed some scheduling issue that actually causes you to gain better performance and less input lag overall or less uh, stutter actually a stutter overall so it's definitely a good benefit to AMD I think we're gonna start seeing this more especially in terms of Ryzen as Ryzen becomes more and more you know prolific in terms of the desktop space Unfortunately, in terms of laptop space, AMD isn't doing that great, but I think they're slowly starting to rise up. And I think the, especially Zen 2, Zen 2 and laptops is going to be something that could potentially be huge because of the actual performance overall, Navi GPUs, and also power consumption, which I believe is a little bit better than Intel in terms of efficiency, in terms of performance. The only thing they really need to fix is their IO performance, which has kind of been an issue for them for a while. But once they do that, they'll probably achieve parity or if not like greater performance than Intel. So it's definitely something to watch out for. All right, so that's been pretty much all I can say about E3. There isn't gonna be a tech takedown. I don't know if I necessarily want to do that sort of thing on this podcast. I think I'm going to switch it up and make it a separate thing, like a separate, more researched, more nuanced thing. And I don't think I'm going to actually put in the sources in the description for this, but you can definitely call me out if you want to. I don't think you will, though. If anyone's actually watching this or listening to this or wherever you are. Well, anyway, it's been nice, and uh, I'll see you next week.